Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Luke, and it is right here printed for you in the liturgy. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and died childless. Then the second... The third married her, and so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Now Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection From the dead, neither marry nor given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised by Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him, all of them, are alive. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, open our eyes that we would see Jesus and see the world through Jesus' eyes. Open our ears that we would hear the gospel. As we reflect on this passage and the way Jesus handles this preposterous question, May you expand our imagination, sanctify our imagination, enable us to look at the world differently because of our time and the word together this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The passage before us in Luke this morning that I just read to you reminds us that when we read the New Testament, we're reading a very old book that assumes certain realities of life that we do not assume. This passage that we just read this morning is all of that but multiplied by two because of the reference to the Old Testament teaching on a practice called leveret marriage, where there are even more realities of life going on that we do not think about, let alone experience in our world. So I'm going to ask you uh, to do what I did this week. (laughs) I'm going to ask you be very patient with the text, okay? Um, We're going to go through this kind of slowly, but it's going to require patience to get through it. But but if we're patient with it, somewhere around three-quarters of the way through our reflection on it together, we're going to come around to some very encouraging words, some very encouraging reminders of what not only God intends for us in our world, but what, is, what God is already accomplishing for us in our world. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the time of the Passover, getting close to the time when he's murdered on the cross. He is wildly popular 
And there is a great deal of worry on the part of the religious leaders that Jesus is too popular. Would people make him the Messiah and threaten their hold on power? Of course, (laughs) they had too much hubris to imagine that he might just be the Messiah all on his own, okay? Uh, Because um, in their minds, this is why I call it hubris, in their minds, a Messiah would have seen the world the way they did. He would have come along and just kind of gotten with the program. But instead, this Jesus is constantly asking them to rethink their understanding of God. So the strategy du jour is apparently to try to discredit Jesus in front of his followers, to embarrass him. Right before this passage, they come up with this this riddle where they, they asked to Jesus if it was right to pay taxes to the emperor. And I think that's kind of a famous passage that you probably all remember. Well, that didn't work. Uh, it says, it, Luke tells us they tried to trap him and then he ended up trapping them. So that didn't work. So now they come up with another question. An absurd hypothetical situation revolving around a real Old Testament practice that at one time was followed in Israel but was not actually followed in the Judaism of Jesus' day and probably had not been followed for a very long time, like centuries. But people didn't know about it. It was in the Old Testament after all. The practice that the Sadducees are are invoking here in their ridiculous riddle is based on instructions in the book of Deuteronomy. It's, been, it's come to be referred to as leveret marriage, leveret from the Latin lever, brother-in-law. I told you you'd have to be patient. Please be patient, okay? This was a practice not uncommon in ancient societies, and I am told that in some societies that are very heavily clan-based, even today in certain parts of the world, it still practice, at least in part, the thing that these societies all have in common is that they're extremely patriarchal. The bloodline needs to continue through one, you know, through one's male offspring in these settings. Now, there were likely examples in that context. Remember, very old book times two, because we're going back a few thousand, you know, several thousand years here. Maybe 2,500 at least. There were likely examples where these marriages provided relative security and sustenance for a widow. But there were likely a lot more examples where the woman simply felt that her whole existence and identity came down to being able to provide a male child. And she was treated this way. After all, why do I think that? Well... God's people had a horrible track record for applying the Old Testament law in a way that truly cared for the poor and the widows. That is a constant cry of the prophets and a cry that Jesus picks up and says and implies and says outright that he's come to deal with this problem once and for all as part of the coming of his kingdom. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
in any event, the Sadducees question, it's not only absurd and cruel, it's disingenuous in the way that it's formed and framed. Remember, they don't believe in the resurrection, okay? This is what Luke reminds us about the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection, but they ask a question about it. And they know that leveret marriage is not practiced. They bring it up as if it's on everyone's mind, and it's not. And they craft the whole absurd scenario in such a way as to make a joke out of the woman, emphasizing the way that she's passed along seven times as if she's nothing more than property. Two New Testament scholars, Barbara Reed and Shelley Matthews, put it this way, quote, and I quote them, the scenario that the Sadducees constructed stands in a long line and tiresome line of jokesters for whom the sexual use of a woman is imagined for a laugh. What did they hope that Jesus would do with this question? Did they hope he would simply be stumped and stammer himself into embarrassment? Did they think he would give an answer that would inadvertently show how absurd it was to believe in the resurrection? thus contradicting other things he had taught, not to mention making Jesus even more despised by the Pharisees who actually did share Jesus' view of the resurrection. Well, we don't know what they thought Jesus would do with it, but we do know what Jesus did with it, and we do know that it's not Jesus that is silenced, but it's the Sadducees that are silenced. How and why are they silenced? Rather than answer the riddle outright, Jesus, and I'm going to do this in reverse chronological order, okay? Jesus demonstrates that A, the Sadducees are not following Moses' teaching as they say they are, and B, if they did, they would understand that their question about leveret marriage is more absurd than they thought when they cooked it up in the first place. So in reverse order here, I'm going to the part about Moses first and then returning to the remarks about marriage second I want to talk first about the example Jesus gives of God declaring to Moses that he is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob now remember I said be patient important piece of historical information the Sadducees only took the first five books the Pentateuch of the Old Testament as authoritative and they maintained that nowhere in the Pentateuch was the resurrection talked about. So, ergo, there was no resurrection, according to them. It's beyond the scope of our time together this morning to talk about when Jews started including the resurrection in their doctrines, but Jesus affirms it, as do the Pharisees, pretty much in the first century, all faithful Jews except the Sadducees look forward to the resurrection. Okay, end of historical Sidebar, because the Sadducees are well known for saying that except Moses' teaching, Jesus goes back to Moses, Jesus goes back to the Pentateuch, Jesus goes back to the book of Exodus, and he says to the Sadducees, okay, if you believe Moses, explain this to me. If God reveals God's self to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must be alive to God. Why are they alive? They're awaiting bodily resurrection. 
like all faithful Jews, except you Sadducees. We learned in Sunday school that the Sadducees did. <laughs> Until we went to Sunday school in a second here. Sadducees uh, uh, didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay, about six people went to Sunday. <laughs> Bad joke. Okay, but because the Sadducees accept Moses' teaching, Jesus says, well, explain this to me. How are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob spoken of as being alive to God? They're waiting to be bodily resurrected. So what Jesus does here, the way that he answers their question, is he basically says to the Sadducees, you don't read Moses correctly. Well, now, that's no surprise if you've been following along in the Gospel of Luke, because Jesus has done this again and again with the Old Testament. When he heals on the Sabbath multiple times, he teaches that human beings are made for the Sabbath, not the other way around. And this is one reason why he's constantly in trouble with the religious authorities. He's saying over and over again that the meaning of the Old Testament points to the coming of his kingdom and that his reading of the Old Testament is the correct reading. But wait, there is more. In Exodus chapter 3, where God identifies God's self as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's from that portion of Exodus that serves as the preface of God's calling of Moses to free his people from slavery in Egypt, to deliver them to a land where they can flourish. Now already in Luke's gospel, the Exodus has been invoked as a metaphor of the coming of Jesus's kingdom where human flourishing will reach a new level of fulfillment one that the children of the Exodus generation could have never imagined. And Jesus says, these things are fulfilled in your midst. In other words, they're already coming to pass. But here Jesus uses this opportunity. Thank you very much, Sadducees. He uses this opportunity to connect the promise of the Exodus to not just a new level of fulfillment, of the promise to redeem God's people, but he connects the exodus to a new category of human flourishing in a new dimension, the resurrection, where human relationships are utterly, utterly transformed. To say it more succinctly and more directly, Jesus connects the promise of the exodus to the resurrection. Now, of course, there'd be many illustrations of the flourishing that can only come to fruition in and through the resurrection. Many, many illustrations. The dimension of, of human life that will be fully realized in the world to come is characterized by justice, characterized by peace, characterized by perfect shalom. But because of the hand that Jesus has dealt, here, Jesus' illustration for this new dimension of resurrection is, <coughs> excuse me, of all things, marriage, or rather, the lack of marriage or need for marriage in the resurrection. He turns the Sadducees 
riddle on its head and says that in the resurrection, men and women will no longer marry or be given in marriage. So, no need to choose which brother. Why stop at seven? How about 20? Doesn't matter. No need for lever at marriage. No more death. The lineage of Israel doesn't need lever at marriage for it to be preserved because it's not preserved by physical birth, but by the resurrection of the Son of God, which is meant to enable Israel's resurrection and through her, the whole world. It is as if this poor, vulnerable woman who is created for this absurd riddle, at least this is how my mind's eye looks at it, has now taken on a life of her own and is exposing the profound and really shameful lack of imagination that birthed that riddle in the first place. The riddle for which she was conjured. She now points toward the resurrection future that is already transforming this present age as the early church exemplified in Luke's companion volume of Acts and of course in the rest of the letters of Paul where we find vulnerable women still living in a patriarchal society but being cared for not by having to follow the rules of the society for they now live according to the law of love the gospel that shaped the life of the early church and shapes our life as well she won't remarry just anyone and certainly not her brother-in-law maybe she'll remain single but she will be well cared for by the community of the local church and of course along the way she will meet women who become leaders among God's people Priscilla, Yodia, Syntyche, Lydia and her crew and the list goes on admittedly this is an odd text and it is really odd to use marriage, or, or rather whatever marriage is transformed into in the resurrection world to come, it's really odd to use that to exemplify the fullness of human freedom and flourishing to which the Exodus pointed. <laughs> There's so many other examples of what shalom will look like that we can collate from Jesus's words and teachings and the expectations of his followers that come after him who write the rest of the New Testament. But we have what was in front of us this morning, just like Jesus did when he was asked the question that was meant to be a trap. And like everything else that Jesus did, he transformed the opportunity to talk about the good news of the world to come. It would do well for us to remember 
that the principal error of the Sadducees was not that they didn't know what the Bible taught. Their error was that they didn't listen to Jesus. And they didn't want to listen to him in our text this morning. That's something for all of us to remember and think about and ponder. May our reading of scripture and the way we see the world around us be informed by a dynamic and prayerful dependence on Jesus' presence in our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.